Welcome back to the Foul Balls podcast for November 27, 2017. Back from Thanksgiving. Hope everybody had a good holiday. I had some fun family time, especially today on Sunday, where I got to spend all Sunday afternoon at a brunch for my grandparents' 65th anniversary, uh, amongst the most bored I've ever been in my entire life. But for basketball tonight, I think we have a pretty interesting eight-game slate. We have a lot of injuries. And there are a lot of injuries that we saw recently, so we kind of know what to expect. We just don't know as of now who's going to be in or who's going to be out. But we'll kind of walk through some of those scenarios. And we have a pretty good idea of what the minutes and kind of usage breakdown is going to be for some of these teams should guys sit out. So first game on the slate, Orlando Magic at the Indiana Pacers. The injury news for this game, Victor Oladipo is questionable with a knee injury. And he had to sit out last game because of the knee injury from the Orlando side of the game. This is an overall plus matchup for them. The Pacers have not been a great defensive team. This should be a high-scoring game. Both teams played a pretty fast pace. Alfred Payton at 6,400. Too much variance to play in cash games. He's been really up and down this year. But at 6,400, ton of upside. He's actually scored over 40 fantasy points in two of his last three games, which is somewhat significant because he was coming back from a hamstring injury and he was kind of limited a little bit. So we've seen him put up some of that upside more frequently now that he's back from the injury. Uh, and then also Aaron Gordon at 7,400 and Nikola Vucevic at 7,300. I think they're both in play in this matchup. From the Indiana side of the game, like I said, Victor Oladipo, uh, knee injury, questionable to play if he isn't able to go. Usage bump for Miles Turner. He hasn't been great this year. So he has flashed upside. And he is somebody who overall I really like as a player. And then the other strong value play would be Lance Stevenson at 4,100. He started in place of Oladipo last game, ended up scoring 33 fantasy points in 36 minutes. 36 minutes is a ton of playing time for somebody who's priced at 4,100. And then also Lance Stevenson, fairly friendly DFS game. And so this would be a really strong spot for him if Oladipo's out again. So before weighing in here, I think I'll mention something we probably both think here, and that's there's one game on the slate where potentially all of the players are on one team. Well, all of the good players on one team could be resting, and I think they probably will be resting. So a lot of the plays we're going to mention, I think, become just sort of marginal if we end up just targeting the value bumps in that one game. For someone like Lance Stevenson, though, if Victor Oladipo's out, then he probably makes sense. But Albert Payton probably kind of just misses the cut. And then maybe like Aaron Gordon and Vucevic and Miles Turner, a lot of guys who are fringe plays, I think are probably decent. But if we're using all of those players from just one game, I think then a lot of the players that we'll mention here and then some of the other games too, it's just... We won't end up using much of them just because there are way better spots. So this could be a slate with some really, really strong value plays. And I guess this was the same thing the other night where the Warriors had some guys out, the Knicks had some guys out. It's kind of just a stars and scrubs lineup construction. And those mid-price players, just you, they just don't really fit into the lineup. So I agree with everyone that you said, but if the Warriors, that I guess I'll, I'll mention the team name. If the Warriors end up resting all of their good oh players. Oh, my God. I, uh, yeah, I was going to keep it a secret, it sounded like. But then I just said who it was. Uh, now everyone knows. If the Warriors end up resting all of their players, then I think all of those guys priced in the five to 7000 range, it just becomes kind of hard to use them in terms of lineup construction. Do you think that makes sense, or do you think you'll still have some exposure to guys like Gordon and Vucevic and Peyton and other players in that price tier? No, definitely, especially uh, Alfred Payton, just because of his upside recently. 
Uh, he'll be somebody who I'll have in at least a few lineups, probably regardless of the situation. The other thing also is we have to spend salary cap somewhere. So if there's a million value plays available, we still have to pay for a couple high-priced guys, and there's going to have to be a couple of mid-range guys that we pay for at some point. So I think Alfred Payton's probably somebody who'll make the cut for me anyway. But then guys like Vucevic and Gordon are a little bit more fringy, so they would be guys who maybe don't make the cut for me. But we'll kind of have to see how some of these injuries play out tomorrow. The next game on the slate, the Cleveland Cavaliers and Philadelphia 76ers. Uh, so, like we had said, uh, or like I just said, if there's a lot of value plays we're going to need somebody to pay up for, LeBron James at 11400 makes a lot of sense to pay up for. From the Philadelphia side of the game, Ben Simmons is questionable to play. If he doesn't play, Joel Embiid gets a pretty sizable usage bump. He gets uh, he uses about 5% more of the Sixers' possessions when Ben Simmons isn't on the floor. 10400 I still think that that's, I'm fine with Embiid at that price. Embiid playing over 30 minutes a game now. I think that he could easily be somebody who's priced at 12000 later on in the season. And then in addition to uh, Joel Embiid, the minutes going up, Cleveland Cavaliers, worst defensive team in the league this year, their last defensive efficiency. They've been giving up a ton of fantasy points all over the place. TJ McConnell would be a, one of the top value plays on the slate again if he starts at 4700 He put up really like a Ben Simmons line in his last start, uh, 15 points, 7 rebounds, 13 assists. He was priced up around 6000 as a starter last year, so to see him at 4700 uh, in a really plus matchup against the Cavs, where he could potentially be starting, he's a strong play. If Simmons is out, uh, he's not in play if Simmons plays. And then also usage bumps for Robert Covington and J.J. Redick without Simmons. And then some more minutes for Dario Saric also, who played... Uh, what was it? He played 34 minutes last game without uh, without Simmons. So Simmons right now really questionable. We don't have a ton of inju- uh, injury info on him. He missed last game with the elbow and literally no updates since then. Nothing about him missing practice, nothing about him playing in practice, just nothing covered by the beat reporters. So Ben Simmons, I think as of right now, just totally 50-50 to play. Well, if Simmons plays, I think, then Simmons is in play for us. And then LeBron and Embiid, like you said, we're going to need guys to pay up for uh, they're, those three, I think, are fine plays. But with Simmons out, I am a little concerned that the game becomes slower paced. We only have a one-game sample of this. Ben Simmons is a rookie, and the only game that he's missed in his career was the most— Wouldn't, re- it, be, wouldn't it be fair to just expect them to play at the same fast pace they played last year, though? It's, the same, it's pretty much the same team. Um, I guess somewhat. Have they been faster this year than last year, though? And then that move to last year's pace would be kind of— a regression where it's a little bit slower or has the tempo actually been the same this year and last year? Let's see. I'll look it up right now. They are currently, I don't think that they're playing it like an absurd. They're fourth in pace this year. They were fifth in pace last year and they're fourth in pace this year. All so right. So one spot drop in pace without Ben Simmons there. Um, yeah. So I, I, I think they're going to play at a fast pace anyway. Yeah. I definitely, was saying they'd still play fast, but I was worried about a drop-off maybe to outside the top 10. It sounds like that's not really an issue, or it's not even true to say anyway. So forgetting that point, yeah, the the cheaper guys that would fill in for Simmons, like Redick and McConnell, um, those are obvious value plays in that scenario. And maybe there's a little bit of an efficiency drop for Embiid without Simmons on the court, but he's so good anyway, and the usage would probably go up just a bit. So even if the efficiency is a little lower as a result, I think that's fine. 
Uh, we're going to have a bit of a tough call between LeBron and Embiid, and then there's a couple other potentially viable players to pay up for. So I'm not sure what the direction here is, but this game probably makes a lot more sense as a stacking game than, let's say, the Rockets-Nets game. So for that reason, probably that reason alone, I think I'm more inclined to play LeBron and Embiid. Actually, secondary reason, Rockets blowout risk. There's not really any blowout risk in this Cavs-Sixers game. So yeah, uh, for all those reasons, I think we'll probably both be using a lot of LeBron and Embiid if it's a situation where there are a lot of cheap value plays and you need to pay out for more than one very expensive player. Yeah, definitely. And then one of the other reasons that the LeBron Embiid combination would really make sense to pay up for, or LeBron Simmons, uh, let's say that a bunch of those Warriors players are out, we need somewhere to spend the money. It makes sense to combine two of the stars from this game just because they'd have a little bit of extra correlation. Maybe the game goes to overtime. Uh, maybe it's a game that's just ridiculously up pace and it's like a 125-120 game. That's just more possession, be more points for all those guys involved. So a little bit more positive correlation, especially for GPPs, that would be a good situation to be in. Uh, should you look for two studs to pay up for. I think it makes sense to pick two guys from this game. Uh, next game, the Portland Trailblazers at the New York Knicks. From the Portland side of the game, I mean, Lillard is fine, like McCollum's fine, but once again, there's just going to be better plays on the slate. From the Knicks side of the game, Kristaps Porzingis is questionable, Ennis Kanter is questionable. Uh, Porzingis seems to be trending towards playing. Ennis Kanter said that he's going to give it a go, one of my favorite injury updates that we get in basketball. So it looks like they're going to play. Uh, nothing official yet. If they do happen to sit, then it's going to be another cock game, another strong spot for him. His price is at, I don't think it really went up too much. I think one of the things that's weird is DraftKings usually really prices up the value guys after they get one start, and none of them really moved too much for this slate. So, yeah, Kylo Quinn's 4000 after being 3500 before. So, Kylo Quinn, plenty of upside still at 4000 he scored 50 fantasy points in his last game. Almost all of them came in the second half. He had uh, five fantasy points at halftime last game, or six fantasy points, and scored 45 in the second half. So oh, a ton of upside for Kyle Quinn, a ton of downside too, because you just never know what's going to happen with him. He gets into foul trouble a lot. Uh, sometimes if, let's say, Porzingis plays but Canner sits, we could have a situation where the Knicks just decide to play Porzingis at center and Canner gets squeezed out of the rotation. That's what happened against the Hawks the other night. Uh, the other thing also is if Porzingis and Canner are both out, which I'm going to say again I don't think is likely, Michael Beasley started last game and had a really big game. He's still pretty cheap, so he would be a good value option if both those guys are out. Yeah, I think I just agree with what you're saying here. It's a fairly uninteresting game if Porzingis and Canner both play, and then if they sit, it's really just O'Quinn and Beasley. Yeah, the Blazers side, I think everyone's just priced pretty fairly, and then again we have that Warriors situation where – I think our focus will be pretty narrow here if the rest plays out the way we think it will. So probably just avoid this game unless the Knicks end up having those injured players miss the game. But it does sound like Porzingis and Cantor will be in. Okay, so we have Pistons versus Celtics next. From the Pistons side of the game, I think that uh, Andre Drummond, he's been priced a little bit down to 8400 That's actually the cheapest that he's been in about three weeks. And Drummond has scored over 40 fantasy points in almost every single game this year. So I think that he's somebody who makes sense to pay up for at 8,400. I think that he's an okay play. From the Boston side of the game, uh, let's see. We have Kyrie Irving's at 8,200. Al Horford, 6,900. Here's the issue again. is just a lot of these guys, I think they're fair prices. 
Uh, so I wouldn't say that like they're terrible plays, but it's not anything I'm going to be super into. And I think that there's just going to be a lot of better value options that present themselves. And I'd rather pay up for, you know, like a LeBron or an MB than go to like Kyrie Irving, especially because of how low the game total is for this. The Pistons and Celtics have both been decent defensive teams and play pretty slow paces. Well, I think Drummond could be particularly contrarian, and the fact that both teams are good defensively doesn't really impact him. As a player who gets a lot of his stats from rebounds and blocks, I guess the slow pace hurts him, but the lack of scoring actually might help him because there's more rebounds to get. Uh, So I think Drummond's viable, but yeah, I probably agree with you that paying up for some more expensive guys is mostly going to be the way to go, but I do think Drummond, if I had to pick a player to use from this game, that's probably where I'd go. All right, so the next game on the slate, Nets, Rockets. Uh, This game has a really high point total, but the issue is this game is just very likely to be a blowout. So really can't roster any of these guys in cash games. There's nobody who I really think is a strong side from the Nets side of the game. From the Rockets, if you're looking for somebody to pay up for, James Harden, 11,800. I think it's doable, but I just prefer the guys like Embiid and LeBron just because that game is so much more likely to be competitive. The spot for Harden is ridiculous. The Nets have a terrible defense. They played a really fast pace. But the Rockets are 16-point favorites. They've won their game since Chris Paul has come back. They're winning by an average margin of like 30 points. They haven't played the toughest competition, but this isn't the toughest competition either. Uh, Then Chris Paul at 7,900. The one reason that I do think Chris Paul could be a somewhat interesting play is because his price is still down because his minutes have been limited so far. But if you look at his minutes per game, 20 minutes, 24 minutes, 27 minutes, 30 minutes. So it stands to reason that we're going to see his minutes go up a little bit more for this game, assuming that it isn't like a 70-point game by halftime. But we could see Chris Paul play 32 to 34 minutes, and if that's the case, 7,900 is just too cheap of a price for him. So Harden and Paul, okay GPP options, but I wouldn't use them in cash games at all. Well, of those two guys, I think I prefer Chris Paul, mostly because if you're going to pay up for Harden, I'd rather pay up for LeBron or Embiid. But the minutes thing on Chris Paul makes sense, and there is some upside there. Even if it is a blowout, his minutes probably aren't even that affected by the blowout. He's um, maybe only been playing a few minutes on average in fourth quarters anyway. So if he is expected to play 30 minutes and then there's a blowout and he only gets, let's say, 27 minutes, it's not really impacting him as much as someone like James Harden, who probably was going to play the entire fourth quarter. So if you're worried about the blowout, I think Chris Paul is safer. Um, But from the Nets side, if Alan Crabb and or Rondé Hollis-Jefferson miss the game, there could be a potential bump to a lot of other Nets players. And I think I'm off almost all of them. Spencer Dinwiddie is actually priced up to 7,300 now, which I'm just saying, which is uh, pretty insane for him. He was, I think, in the 3,000s to start the year, and even as a starter has been nowhere close to that. But Karis LeVert has been basically the same price all year. He's at 4300 So if Alan Crabb and Rondé Hollis-Jefferson both don't play, it would seem like LeVert has to play 35-plus minutes, right? I mean, will the Nets still just play everyone 24 to 30 minutes and not give LeVert extra run, or do you think he actually could end up playing most of the game? No, uh, like, so Levert had a pretty serious knee injury in college, and the Nets have just been really cautious with his minutes. So even if you look at this year, he hasn't played over 30 minutes in any single game, and the Nets have had a lot of injuries this year, and he's played exactly 30 minutes twice. So even with those guys out, I think that the ceiling for Levert is probably around 30 minutes, but he's still probably most likely around 25 or so in what's a pretty tough matchup. 
All right, I think that's fair. His usage should be up with those guys both out, so I'd still probably consider him um, in that situation. But yeah, that certainly caps his upside. And also, have to mention this again, there are probably other players in a similar price tier that will like more, so I guess we should just move on and get to those. All right, so the Dallas Mavericks and the San Antonio Spurs. I think this is another game that's a fairly likely blowout situation. Um, not as much risk as some of the other games, or not as much risk as the Houston game, but definitely still some blowout risk here. Uh, if you're looking for a play from the Mavericks side, Dennis Smith Jr. at 5,000. I think he's a fine GPP option. He's had a few tough games in a row. He's also had tough matchups. They've played Boston. They've played at Memphis. They've played OKC. Those are all top defensive teams in the league. So that's a lot of the reason for the uh, drop in price and performance on Dennis Smith Jr. is just uh, bad games recently due to tough matchups. The issue is this matchup doesn't get any easier. He's playing at the Spurs. I wouldn't look at this as a reason to roster somebody, but if you're going to look at a matchup against the Spurs and say Dennis Smith Jr. has no chance to play well in this matchup, well, he scored 37 fantasy points against them earlier in the year. So I wouldn't look at that result and say, oh, he's going to do that again. But I would say at least it's evidence that, hey, it is possible that he does have a good game. And at thirty-seven, at 5000 I think that he has upside at that price. Still, the blowout risk would have me away from him in cash games. And then from the Spurs side of the game, once again, I just there's a lot of fair pricing here. There's some blowout risk. I don't think there's anybody I'm going to roster from their side of the game. Yeah, I probably won't roster anyone from this game either. Um, if Wes Matthews doesn't play, then that opens up some decent opportunity for other Mavericks, and maybe it's an increased amount of usage for Dennis Smith. But as you mentioned before we started, Wes Matthews always ends up playing, and I think I agree with you there. So no real reason to talk about that more than just this small amount of analysis. All right, so next game, here's the where we have potential just crazy value, is the Kings are playing at the Warriors. The Warriors have already said that Andre Iguodala is doubtful to play. They have Steph Curry listed as questionable. They have Kevin Durant listed as questionable. They have Draymond Green listed as questionable. The Kings are awful this year. The Warriors are obviously very good. I think it's very likely we see Curry, Durant, and Green all sit tomorrow. At the very least, I think that Durant is very likely to sit. The ankle injury is supposedly improving, except Steve Kerr said that they felt they rushed him back. He took a game off uh, and then came back to play at the Thunder. No real uh, mystery as to why Durant would definitely push and say his ankle feels fine to play that game, except they felt that he injured the ankle a little more in that game. I think in a game that they're pretty likely to win and just a game of very little importance to the Warriors, I think he probably sits. The injury to Steph Curry, I, I don't think is existent. The injury to Draymond Green, I don't think is existent. I just think the new rules in the NBA, you can't just rest somebody for no reason or else it's a fine. You have to have people listed on the injury report. So I just I think this is just precautionary. The Warriors are putting these guys on, and I don't think any of them play. Um, I don't. This is just me kind of guessing, though. There isn't no there is no kind of real official report that they are going to play. But that's the reason why I think they're listed questionable. If they sit, then that would just be a massive amount of usage for Clay Thompson. There'd be other guys like uh, Jordan Bell would be really involved. He would probably play a ton of minutes. He's close to mid price. We saw what he could do in decent amount of minutes against the Bulls. Uh, Omri Caspi, he would get a lot of run. Uh, Sean Livingston would have to play a lot. Uh, we could get some swaggy P, Nick Young in there. We kind of just have to see who are the Warriors actually going to rule out, who's going to start in their place. There's probably going to be some value here, and Clay Thompson is probably going to be the best play. We just kind of have to sit and wait for the injury news. 
and what is Caspi at thirty eight hundred? So I think he's. I think the two guys who I'm safest, who I feel safest saying are good plays right now, Clay Thompson and Omri Caspi are going to be good plays tomorrow, and then, and then we'll see what else happens. For Clay Thompson, he's going to be the highest owned player in both cash and GPPs by a mile if he's the only regular starter that's still playing. But I feel like you kind of just have to roster him anyway. He should obliterate his value unless the game's a blowout at halftime. Um, the thing I'm curious Which, about, though... By the, way, the, by, by the way, the other game... Uh, I'm not sure if you were playing this late, so you might not know, but there was a game, there was a, a night where Kevin Durant and Draymond Green both rested. The Warriors beat the Bulls by 50 points that night. Klay Thompson and Steph Curry both came out halfway through the third quarter. They each played two and a half quarters, and both of them easily had value, even in two and a half quarters. Well, you sort of just answered... That wasn't the direction I was going, uh, if Klay Thompson could hit value in half the game, but... What I was going to say is that Clay Thompson's normal rotation, um, it has him playing the beginning of the fourth quarter. So for whatever reason, the way the Warriors stagger their minutes, Thompson, and then I guess it's either Green or Durant, but it's always Thompson as the only starter that kind of just is consistently in this role will end up playing the first portion of the fourth quarter, sitting out the mid part of the fourth quarter and then coming back in the game late. So when there's a blowout going into the fourth, Thompson still gets his regular minutes because he plays probably down to the six-minute mark, even when they're up thirty points. I guess maybe that yeah. doesn't happen though when well, Durant that, that and Green are out. That won't be the same. That won't be the same when everybody rests though. Right, that's the problem. Resting, they're just going to play Clay Thompson a ton of minutes, and then he'll just come out if the game becomes a blowout. Because when they had guys resting the last couple games that were blowouts, Clay Thompson played twenty-five minutes and twenty-eight minutes, but it, it was still he in twenty-five minutes he was able to hit value. So for cash games, I think Clay Thompson is a must-play. But for GPPs, I think you could roster the guys on Golden State who aren't the ones starting. Um, if there's a blowout, they get all the fourth-quarter minutes, and then whoever those backups are probably are still getting a ton of minutes anyway. It's not our normal uh, play for the blowout situation where you're using someone like Jordan Bell, and he'll only get like 10 minutes if the game is close, and maybe he gets 20 if it's a blowout. He's going to play a lot of minutes no matter what. So I think it is sort of viable to just play other Warriors that aren't Thompson in some GPP lineups and spend up elsewhere. And the other thing is that makes this hard for stacking this game. There's just no one that either of us are probably comfortable with using from the Sacramento side. So it's not it doesn't really make a ton of sense to have a GPP lineup where you use, let's say, six different Warriors and zero Kings. Um, and if you're not going to roster any Kings, I think it probably is a better idea to just use a few Warriors guys and then you're not really benefiting from taking the risk that the game stays close if you're not using anyone from the Sacramento side, I guess is what I'm saying. So would you use any Kings or you think um, it makes sense to just use the really, really good value plays on the Warriors and then stay away from that Sacramento side? Yeah, I'd be fine with staying away from the Sacramento side. Like, I think that this is going to be a slate where I'm just going to be jamming in as many value plays as I could find. So I wouldn't even have an issue with a GPP lineup that say like Clay Thompson, Jordan Bell, Omri Caspi, Sean Livingston, and then nobody on the Kings because everybody on the Warriors outside of Clay Thompson is priced at thirty eight hundred and below. And it's not like you need the game to stay close for them to hit value, even in a blowout where maybe someone like Sean Livingston doesn't even play the fourth quarter. He's cheap enough that it's not really a big deal anyway. He is playing probably twice as many minutes as usual. Uh, yeah, so he, if, if if Sean Livingston ten points and five assists, he hits value. 
right? And if uh, if none of the starters are playing, that should be fairly easy for him to do in probably even half the game. Um, but I'm looking at it now, trying to figure out who you would potentially use if you were to go with anyone from Sacramento. And I think the answer is just no one. I think there isn't really a case to be made for anyone. Do you, do you think if you were grasping at straws, do you think you could find any one guy that's even remotely worth considering? Cause uh, the other thing is the Warriors probably play a lot slower too. So with all their starters out, it actually probably hurts the Sacramento guys aside from just the blowout risk. Well, I definitely don't think it, I definitely don't think it hurts them because the Warriors were number one in defensive efficiency last year. And with all those guys out, they're probably a bottom five defense team. So I think the expected points per possession make up for whatever four or five less possessions would be in the game. The issue is just from the Kings side of the game, who's going to play minutes? I have no clue. Like sometimes Willie Cauley-Stein plays a bunch of minutes. Sometimes George Hill does. But there's no rhyme or reason to it. Just one day Dave Yeager says, hey, George Hill's playing 30 minutes tonight. And the next day, hey, George Hill's playing 22 minutes. It's impossible to predict. Right. I guess you could you could just guess which guy it is, but that's all you'd be doing is just guessing. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to say that it's very likely there's going to be a couple guys on the Kings that have good games. But I think there's other spots where it's also very likely that people are going to have good games. And it's much easier to figure out who those guys are. So I think it's a more profitable strategy to just target the guys who I know are definitely good values as opposed to guys who might be good values. Yeah, I think I agree with that. The one place where I may disagree with you still is that even though the Warriors will be worse defensively without their starting players, I think the game slows down enough that it offsets the drop in defensive skill. Because in the games where starters miss time, um, and there's some historical precedent for this, I don't remember the exact numbers, but I remember it kind of anecdotally from previous years, the totals would still go down pretty substantially in games where the Warriors starters weren't playing. And the total would drop more than the spread would drop. So, for example, if uh, the Warriors were going to be 20-point favorites and the total would be 220, just making it simple numbers here, even though they probably would be favored by more than that. But if, uh, let's say, the Warriors would be minus 20 with a 220 total fully healthy at home against Sacramento, without all of their starters playing, maybe they'll only be 12-point favorites, but the total will drop more than those same eight points that the spread dropped. I think the total would then drop to, like, 205 or something. Um, and I, I guess that's that's really all the evidence I have for why them playing actually hurts the Kings scoring, but it does limit the blowout risk. So maybe that those things all offset anyway, but this is kind of irrelevant too, just because the Kings have a bunch of players that we can't predict. So uh, even if you agree with me or wh- whichever side of this you agree with, it probably doesn't matter. You probably aren't using any Kings guys anyway. All right, so last game, Lakers-Clippers, I'll make this easy. I'm not playing anybody from the Lakers. And from the Clippers' side of the game, uh, Patrick Beverly, he's now out for the season. And so we're going to get more Lou Williams. He's okay at 6,500. Also, nothing crazy. Uh, My favorite guy to use from this game is going to be Blake Griffin because there's going to be value we need guys to pay up for. Blake Griffin makes a ton of sense. The Lakers have not yet have not been good against power forwards this year, even though they have overall been a better-than-expected defensive team. They've struggled in the fantasy department against power forwards, and Blake Griffin's been really good this year, especially lately. So he's a strong guy to target and pay up for. Yeah, I like Blake Griffin a lot, too. And I guess there's really not much else to say here. Um, DeAndre Jordan, I think, is worth using, too. But that's probably it for this game, and especially because... We've mentioned so many potential targets from other games. I don't think there's 
a reason to stack this game really and Blake Griffin is probably the best player to use from either team. Um, the Lakers, yeah, I guess uh, I agree with you. There's no one really that jumps out from them, so probably avoiding them too. Even in even in this game where maybe they're a little bit undervalued because it's a road game where they're actually not the road team, it's a neutral court. Uh, but that's certainly not enough to make any of these guys that viable. Okay, so that'll finish today's podcast. Um, are we going to be back tomorrow? How many NBA games are there? Sometimes there are some really weak Tuesday slates. So we have now five games Tuesday, so we'll be back tomorrow. You can follow me on Twitter at GArenbergDFS. Matt's Twitter handle is at PreachingSense. And just pay attention to the injury news tomorrow and just load up on as many value guys as you can. That's the best way to be profitable on slates with this much value. You just want as much exposure to the best value as possible. So we'll be back tomorrow.